Did anyone else sit through the, I don't know, six hours today of um, city council hearings about IDP policy and housing? Uh, Yearning Butch, what's up? So I have so many different systems here, but uh, if you've ever been on these streams before, I basically ramble a bit, normally have one or two points of things that I feel like talking about, but at any time, please feel free to ask me questions. I like this being a lot more organic. Um, even though I am distracted because a game that I've been waiting to come out has finally come out, Disco Elysium for PlayStation 4, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And also the Bruins were sucking tonight, so that takes over, I don't know, some percentage of my brain power. Um, but today, the Boston City Council had this big hearing on IDP policy, which stands for Inclusionary Development Policy, which is basically the city's mandatory levels that they sometimes charge developers for to feed into quote-unquote affordable units. So currently here in Boston, if you are building a development over eight, I'm sorry, over 10 buildings, and I'm sure there's also um, a size component as well, you have to either provide a certain percentage of housing on-site, off-site, or pay into a fund for IDP. And the current metric Boston uses is 13%. So whenever there's a large-scale development defined by anything larger than 10 units, the developer has to put in 13% quote-unquote affordable housing. And then there's a formula for how much money that is that they just contribute to a fund. Which on its face then means that any housing development that we do in the city, they are admitting is 87% non-affordable, if you just want off the basic definitions. But what makes the definition so frustrating is that whenever they say affordable units, what that uh, category is for basically means a certain percentage of the area median income. So this is when all gets tricky. Because the area median income that they use is not the actual area median income of Boston. Just about half the people in Boston um, make under $35,000 a year. So the current median is probably somewhere in the high 30s. It gets a little bit more confusing where the current um, family brings in just about the low 70s because that's normally two quote-unquote workers. And so they base our affordable levels off of I, the current level is just over $100,000. I checked today and it actually might be $113,000 is what they put the median at. Median as in the middle number for everyone who didn't take statistics or forgot it. And how they get that is a formulation from HUD at the federal level, the Housing of Urban Development. And they take a big circle and they take Parts of southern New Hampshire, big chunk of Massachusetts, and even some parts of, I think, northern Rhode Island and northern Connecticut. And it's over 100 cities that they just draw a big circle around. And then HUD says, okay, the area median income of this big chunk is over six figures. We'll call it 100,000, even though it's a little bit more than that. Which obviously is absurd because the um, area median income of Dorchester is, I think, in the high 40s, low 50s. 
Uh, same with places like Rosendale, Mattapan. So that means that they are basing it off of something which is already double what the actual area medium income is. So they currently then set at 13% affordable units, and then each of those is at a different percentage, normally 70. So just to keep the math easy, 70% of $100,000 is $70,000. So they say if you make $70,000, you now classify as qualifying for this affordable unit. Even though, again, you are now technically making double what your, what your neighbors are making, what the actual area median income is. So when they say affordable units, what they're really talking about is 13% for people who make $70,000, $90,000, who are already doing okay to good. That is what their affordable levels are. It's not actually even about the average person in the community. Anti-Britain got their first vax today. That's good. Congratulations. I got my shot number two coming up April 15th. And then I'm going to be good. I'll wait the two weeks. Because, again, you're not fully vaxxed. You're not cleared until two weeks after your last shot. And then I am going crazy. Um... You can call it cheating a little bit. I've I've been good. I haven't been dining indoors that much. I went with a friend um, for a drink or two. I forget what night that was. I'm going to say Saturday night. But besides that, I've been staying away from the bars. But the second I get that other shot and I wait the two weeks, May 1st, it's all it's all coming together. So that, that's uh, Boston's currently... That's Boston's current IDP policy, 13%. Um, so actually, I lucked out, Julia. I my I have a friend who manages a nonprofit who received X amount of vaccines, and then they were going to throw them away. So I was on like a short list of call us at the end of the day, and I was able to get in that way. Um, I would have officially qualified two days later because I volunteer at food pantries in the area. So I, quote-unquote, cut the line by, I guess, two days on being on a short list. Um, but I'll take it. Mad rush. And yeah, there's a lot of little ways, like what I just outlined, that you might be able to get on similar lists. Um, unfortunately, when you have a bad structure, it ends up being who you know, to be honest, uh, which is disappointing and sad. But... So for this hearing today, uh, the State House recently gave Boston the power that they can change that 13%. Boston no longer has to be beholden to only 13% given to affordable units. They can now fluctuate that number. And for years now, housing advocacy groups in Boston, uh, which I've been fortunate enough to be a part of for the last few years, have been kind of um, debating, so what should we ask for? And the level that this coalition came to is 33%, truly affordable. Because as I mentioned before, they say affordable is $70,000, $90,000 is your income. That's completely absurd. It's, that's double, sometimes triple what the average person makes. I'm saying average now for median for the math nerds out there. So they want 33%. We want 33% at truly affordable, which would be income levels. 20, 30, 40% AMI, which is now 20,000 a year, 30,000 a year, 40,000 a year, because that truly reflects how much people make in those communities. Um, I think we should have asked for more. 
kind of just like a, a basic uh, negotiation is when if you want 33%, you go in asking for 70. And I, I can 100% make the case for 70% um, affordable units. I can make the case for 100%. And there's no amount of Harvard free market professors they can put in front that are going to be able to articulate a better argument. So you always want to ask for more whenever you're doing these type of uh, negotiations. Um, instead, they kind of asked for what makes sense, what is realistic and feasible, which is, is an approach. I would have went another way. That's okay. So they want 33% truly affordable. Uh, the hearing today, it was mostly city councilors knowing that there was a lot of, um, you know, um, activists and organizers listening in. So they, they catered to that crowd. But ultimately, the BPDA, Boston Plan Development Agency, their people were there. They kept saying, you know, we're just here to listen. And they're going to do what they always do. They're going to go in a back room and the BPDA is going to make the decision and then come out and say, this is what we're doing. If I had to guess off of what happened with the Suffolk Downs development, Suffolk Downs ended up accepting 20% affordable units, again, using their definition, not ours. And so the city will say um, 22% affordable. And then they'll pat themselves on the back and developers will still make millions upon billions of dollars in development. And yeah, uh, that's, that's my disappointing end of, for how this I, I see this going. But we'll see. You never know. Um, things are escalating so quickly as the conditions get worse and worse. Um, the CDC extended the eviction moratorium until the end of June, I believe. And um, kind of just keep adding a Band-Aid, passing it. So we'll see. So that, that was my little spiel on the IDP. Uh, answering a question in the chat. So there are what are called community fridges scattered across Boston that are led by um, people in the community. Uh, they're normally like constructed by a local uh, 501c3, like a nonprofit. Like literal, literal fridges. It's like a fridge on a sidewalk. And people can go take what they need to eat or vice versa. People can go and drop off food in the fridge. Um, so I um, am part of a network where what we do is we drive to food pantries in like Cambridge or actually I'm going to Chelsea uh, Friday morning early, picking up excess surplus food that they have there and then driving it back down to these community fridges in Boston, well, Dorchester, Mattapan, Rosendale to then fill those fridges because it goes fast. Like I've, I've loaded a fridge. The entire thing, every shelf, every little compartment, the whole freezer, and within 30 minutes, it's gone. Just because that is how much people in these communities are, are suffering. Um, yeah, if you want to learn more, DM me. I'm, I'm happy to give you more info on like how to be involved with those fridges and all of that. But besides that, my uh, organization, Boston DSA... Made a lot of big announcements, answering a question in the chat. Registered curse. It's a good uh, username. When will the BPDA make that decision? I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting. They probably won't make it to like a year from now. Um, I don't think they're going to come up with anything. And it's also it's a little unclear of who makes a decision. Because the BPDA is meant to be opaque. It's meant to be very difficult to understand who is actually, quote unquote, in charge. 
Um, the people who head the zoning board, which is like the ultimate authority power within it. Um, I think there's like a five-member body, four were picked by the governor. One of them was picked by Marty Walsh. I'm pretty confident Kim Janey, as acting mayor, does not have the power to make appointments that are going to be long-lasting. It's like one of the distinctions between an acting mayor um, and just a regular elected mayor, I guess. Oh, and nice. Uh, Inman Square, sweet. So so we'll see. Um, maybe they'll make it um, before the election. Maybe they'll wait into the new administration. If I had to guess, they're going to wait into the new administration and they're not going to touch the policy until February, March of next year. But who knows? And, and then in the meantime, they will continue to ram through as much development as possible. That was something they said today that pissed me off was a member of the BPDA said that COVID has left them in a state of paralysis. And, and that is why they haven't gotten to this yet, which is complete bullshit. Um, everyone who follows housing development in Boston, they have been ramming through development after development purposefully in a very Naomi Klein shock doctrine kind of way, while everyone is so busy, um, preoccupied with COVID, preoccupied with the uh, not just the public health crisis, but the economic fallout from it. And they've just been plowing through housing developments one after the other because they know that people are too busy to put up a fight. So, yeah, F the whole. Uh, we're in paralysis. And. Um, but especially for the podcast people, because I do record this for that as well. So Boston DSA, my organization. Uh, we made a big announcement on Monday. Maybe you read about it in Politico. Might be a Globe article coming tomorrow. Let's hope so. We made eight endorsements uh, in the area. So we've endorsed Joel Richards for Boston City Council for District 4. Who, um, though I live in Dorchester, not my, wouldn't be mine. I unfortunately have Frank Baker. I'm going to read you Joel Richards' Info in, into the record, we'll call it. He's a BTU, Boston Teacher Union activist, first generation American, um, Jamaican American community organizer. Um, and his main focus is on public schools, affordable housing, and resources for economic justice. So I highly encourage you to look him up. And if you live in that area, donate and get involved. Same with Kendra Hicks. Kendra Hicks from District 6, who is a, also a proud socialist. Everyone that we endorsed, I believe, is a member of Boston DSA. And she's incredible. She's been, um, she originally ran her campaign against Matt O'Malley, who's the current uh, city council of that district. And then he chickened out. He's just like, yeah, I'm not running for office anymore. I'm done. So those are our two Boston announcements. In case you work or you know somebody who was on the Boston City Council currently or who was thinking about running, you can tell them that it was nothing personal. Well, for some of them, it wasn't personal. Um, but there are some good members on the Boston City Council. Probably no one that would have made it through our endorsement process, to be honest. But we did, uh, we're not doing any at-large races and we're not doing any mayoral endorsements, mostly because of the capacity. And that has a lot to do with what we have planned for Somerville. Um, how did I originally get involved in Boston DSA? 
Um, I'll, I'll answer your second question first. Um, do you vote on endorsements? Yes. So all, all endorsements that DSA does goes through a very long, rigorous process that I, in some small ways, have helped shape over the years and ends with a vote from the general body, so all of our members, and then you have to pass, I think it's 60%. So 60% of our members have to endorse you. Uh, and that that is what makes us different. And I've said this on other streams before. So like whenever you see unions, hey Maria. So whenever you see unions make endorsements, that does not mean that the actual union rank and file voted for those endorsements. Very few, if any, unions actually let their union membership vote. It's the same. It's just that's just not how unions are constructed. That's not how a lot of uh, political organizations are constructed. Boston DSA is, or DSA in general, is very rare in that we have the entire general membership make the decision. There's a lot of reason behind that. Um, I, I originally got involved in DSA. Let me see. Yes, there is a Worcester DSA. So Flying Squirrel, go join Worcester DSA. Um, I went to my first meeting actually in 2013. Uh, back then, it was... Like six old guys who just kind of sat around and read. Um, they explained to me and like the one other person there in their twenties like what DSA was, and it seemed like 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 oh yeah like you know we got a couple thousand members across the country. Uh, we have a newsletter. We make endorsements in the national election, and we kind of just sit around and talk about socialism. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, well, I have like I have friends. I don't need a book club. Like I'm good. And it wasn't until AOC won that I realized, oh, that organization that I went to their meeting to years ago, they actually do stuff now. And I have my dates all crisscrossed. But when was Charlottesville? Hold on. So that was 2017, because that, that's when I actually decided to get active. Like, I, I followed this stuff for a while. I did a lot of reading about all this. Um, but I didn't really become active in politics. I mean, I did. I knocked doors. I coordinated for Obama. But, like, a lot of people of my generation did, too, in uh, 08. And then we all just went away because Obama basically shut the door. And, yeah, so it really wasn't until Charlottesville. Yeah, it was August 2017. Um, that I got really involved. And then, yeah, ever since AOC, I've been pretty insanely heavily involved in uh, my local DSA chapter. Found a political home is the language that we normally use. Uh, some people answered this already in the chat. Thank you. Um, is DSA Democratic Socialist? Yes. DSA stands for the Democratic Socialists of America. I think it was around since like the later 1970s, early 1980s. And then had like two to 5,000 members off and on until 2015. And then Bernie Sanders um, had his camp began his campaign, picked up also in 2016. He kept saying democratic socialism. People were just like, what the F is that? Quick Google search. Like, oh, democratic socialism of America. Okay. I like what this Bernie guy is saying. There's an organization that does this. And then DSA just blew up in terms of its um, enrollment. 
And now I think we got like 80, 90,000. It's the largest socialist organization, at least. Or def I mean, it's definitely the largest in America. I'm trying to think the last time they had voter numbers that much, probably since the 1930s. Uh, thoughts on the federal government officials asking us to organize. Oh, that was weird. Um, so the reason I said it's weird is when, when you hear Chuck, what uh, Julie is referring to is Chuck, Shul, uh, Chuck, Shul, Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren, I forget who the other person was, they came out today saying, everyone write to Joe, um, I forget, I'm blanking on his middle name, but it's funny, Robinette Biden, and tell him that you want student loan forgiveness. And like... We, people like me, sometimes, like, do calling campaigns or, like, we were doing that around the PRO Act. Maybe I'll talk about that in a second. But, like, for the actual people with power just saying, hey, go do that thing where you call. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that feel like you're actually doing something? It's like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> you run the Senate. Like, you could actually do something. You could put the bill on the, uh, the Senate floor, whip the votes and pass it, and then demand that Biden veto it. Like, that's how pressure works. Telling people to uh, go write your letters is just a joke. It makes, like, a mockery of the, the actual process. So, like, at, they're acting like a high school community organizer. And, again, that's no shame for people that, that do that. As I just mentioned, like, like we do that. I, I call my people. But to pretend that that's, like, how change is done is, yeah, it was weird. That's one way to put it. Um, yeah, I forget what happened in Worcester. Sometimes, especially like when new organizations are like just forming, there's a lot of turnover at the top and people come, they leave, they go to other organizations and yeah, that's okay. So you, you find, uh, people, you all agree that you're going to act in good faith. The left has a history of like splintering constantly, which is, um, Horrific's not the word, but it's very detrimental to the cause. We all have to stay together. So if you're lucky enough to find people that share your values, even if you disagree, sometimes it's disagreeing over very minor dumb shit, find a way to stay together. And yeah, registered curse, putting it well. When the government tells you to write letters to the government. Or when, uh, if you've ever seen the movie, um, Sorry to Bother You, uh, like without spoiling it, he captures on camera what the evil corporation is doing. He goes on all the news outlets and says, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing. Uh, everyone write to your congressman. Tell them that this makes you angry. And then the next day, like the Democrats and the Republicans are holding hands, celebrating the corporation's profits going off. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, I mean, still, still call your people, still bother them, because why not? Like, why let them off the hook? Like, make them sit there and listen to your voicemail. Make them sit there and have to delete your email. Make them have to listen to you. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I, I I do it knowing nothing's going to come from it, but I'm going to just, like, make you feel bad about what you're doing for half a second, for that much. And if the cumulative effect is enough of us do it so that maybe you, uh, you uh, go to the bars 30 minutes early that day. Maybe you just have, like, one more drink. Maybe you do one more bump of coke, and then you're not as productive the next day. We're at least keeping you from doing the bad shit. So, yeah. Uh, for people who advocate, like, non-involvement, uh, they're really not counting on just how much some, wearing some of these people down in their staff is, is worth it in and of itself. 
Especially, especially the liberal, because liberals like to pretend that they're the good guys. So you can guilt them a lot easier. You can keep them up at night. Some of them anyway. And then eventually they just become dead and tone you out. But so like local politics is fun. Um, like, like I had a city councilor uh, call me yesterday morning. Uh, it, it's, it's fun because you have a lot more like interpersonal uh, relationships with people. What was the second thing? Okay. To Somerville. So, well, Boston DSA also did, outside of the two endorsements that we made for Boston City Council, is we endorsed six people in Somerville. And what that's going to look like is we endorsed three candidates for at-large being, um, I got to make sure I, I know their last names. I know them all by their first names. Um, Willie Burnley. Charlotte Kelly and Eve Sidecheck for at large. And then also JT Scott, who's currently on the Somerville City Council, uh, Becca Miller, and oh, and Tessa Bridge. So six people. And so if we are successful, uh, if JT, JT Scott is already on the council, there's another BS, uh, BDSA member already on the council. Ben, you and Campin. So that's two. And then if we can add these five, that equals seven. And then Somerville will have the first socialist majority city council in well over a century. If, if at all. And we need somebody to fact check us because we actually don't know if America has ever had a socialist majority city council. It's possible they have. Like maybe it's like in Wisconsin, like in the later... 19th century, 19th century, yeah, in the later 19th century, early 20th century, I don't know, but um, if we're successful, it, it'll definitely make national headlines, so it's fun, it's no pressure, and I get to run the field campaign, which is the, the nice people that uh, assign canvassers to stuff, outline strategy, all that fun stuff, so I will have a very busy next, I don't know, nine months of my life. And then you get to take like a, a month off, basically, and then it all begins again because then you got to start doing endorsements for the next cycle. Uh, when is the vote to city council? Uh, your first vote is, I think, September 14th, which is for the, what's called the prelims. And then the general is November 2nd, November 4th, one of those two dates. So you have plenty of time to register. You have plenty of time to come to our launch party. Uh, that's a great question. So we're having a launch party April 21st. Um, come to that. DM me if you want the, the details. And we were going to be having regular canvases starting early May. For the people on the call, you get to hear our strategy. Uh, we'll be launching our first official canvassing the first weekend of May. So the most important thing you can probably do is make sure you get vaccinated as soon as possible so that you're comfortable knocking on doors and talking to strangers publicly. We'll be outside. We'll be wearing PPE. We'll be doing all that stuff. Um, I will be there at basically every event from now until November. So say hi. But there'll be plenty of opportunities for uh, people to get involved. But all right, I'm at my 30-minute marker. Any lasting questions before I leave you all? I like to keep it to close to 30.
but yes, Tall Killer B. Uh, DM me if you want the uh, the more information for it. Oh, and apparently the Bruins might be coming back. I just got texted about that. So, all right, with that, I'm going to head out. Thank you for your questions. Let me know how I can improve the show in any way. Oh, I don't know how to do it, but I know you can, like, ask me questions that I get through, like, the Q&A function. So if you have something that you want me to do a 60-second video on, or if you just have generic questions, feel free to put them there, and that's my way of knowing that you actually want me to do a video about it publicly. If you have private questions, you can either put them to the comments in the video, or you can DM me. I'm, I'm more than fine um, answering people's DMs and stuff. Yeah, it has probably happened, Summer Squanto. I have to, um, I don't know, though. Or, or, I mean, Somerville isn't necessarily a major city. It's like, I don't know. It's Boston light. I was thinking about that. Like, obviously, Cambridge and Somerville are not part of Boston. However, if the seaport is part of Boston, then Cambridge and Somerville is basically part of Boston. Like, there are huge chunks within the territorial boundaries of the city of Boston, which are less Boston than Cambridge and Somerville. So, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm counting them. They're, they're Boston minor. It would still be an incredible feat if we're able to accomplish it. It'll only get done if we are able to mobilize hundreds of, and I mean hundreds of volunteers continuously for the next six months of everyone's life. So if you're watching this, if you would like to be part of history, yeah, that's fair. Um, DM me. Let me know how you want to get involved. If you want to learn how to lead canvases, lead phone banks, cut turf, how to be an effective campaign manager how to do comms, more than happy to train everyone, but then we need everyone jumping in to help us get these wins. Because again, it, it all elections come down to a math equation. It, and that math equation is how many volunteers do you get? How many doors do each of them knock? How many calls do each of them make? And then you take the percentages and you can figure out if you're going to win or not. Obviously, this is a little bit different at the national level because there's just billions of dollars of media exposure. In local races, you don't really have that. The people who are reading the Boston Globe daily basically already know who they're going to vote for. And there is massive percentages of people who do not vote, who do not participate in local elections. And that's still probably the case, even though the last three to four years, everyone's become a radical political nut, myself included. Um, what's your cause? I guess in general, socialism, that's, that's kind of, if you want to catch all, uh, the end of uh, capitalism, the end of um, human necessity as a commodity, which is bought and sold on a market. Yeah. But, all right, you got a little bit more out of me. I want to go see if I can finish the end of this Bruins and then walk, uh, play some Dead Space before I get to play my new game, Disco Elysium. So thank you, everyone, and have a good night. Mm -hmm.